before you and ask you just to bless this time as we look at your word. And Lord, we don't know where most of the other people are tonight, but we just pray that they are being blessed in whatever they're doing. And we ask your guidance and leading in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 78. I'm going to read it all through again, long psalm, but just to get our context. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their, from their children, showing to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our, our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know even the children which should be born, who should rise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not their covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and, and his wonders which he had showed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of the fire. He claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them to drink out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. They tempted God with, in, in their heart by asking the meat for their lust. Yea, they spoke against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock, and waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he, also, can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth, and a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came upon Israel. Because they believed not in God, they trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and given them of the corn of heaven, man did, man did eat angels of food, angels food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, in the heavens and by his power he brought the south wind. He rained flesh upon them as dust and feathered fowl like the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp around about their inhabitation. So they did eat and were well filled, and he gave them their own desires, and they were not estranged from their lust. But their, while the meat was yet in their mouths, and the wrath of God came upon them, and slew the fattest of them, and smote down the chosen men of Israel. In all this they sinned still, and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity, and their years in trouble. When he slew them, they, and they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God, and they remembered that God was the, their rock, and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless did they flatter him with their mouths, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with, with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquities, and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away, and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back the, and tempted God. They limited the Holy One of Israel. 
They remembered not his hand nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. And he turned their iniquity into blood and their floods that they could not drink. He sent diverse sorts of flies among them and devoured them, the frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillar and their labor unto the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up the cattle also to hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his, to his anger and spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to pestilence. He smote all the firstborn in Egypt and the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham, but made his own people go forth like sheep, guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. He brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain which, he, which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before him and divided them an inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not his testimony, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully with like their fathers when they turned aside the deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger in their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel. So he forsook the tabernacle in, of Silo, the tent which he had placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into his enemy's hand. He gave his people over also unto the sword and was wrought with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to marriage. The priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep and like a mighty man that shouts by reason of wine. And he smote his enemies at the hinder parts and he put a put them into a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary in high places like the earth, which he had established forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. All right, we left off a chapter of verse 41 last week, so we're going to start at verse 42. They remembered not his hand, nor the day that he delivered them from the enemy. And as we look at Israel's history, that was a constant flow. God would do something miraculous for them. They'd be happy for sometimes a little longer than others, sometimes a very, very short time, and they would forget God. And we saw that. They left Egypt after the ten plagues, and, the, and they crossed the, and God delivered them through the, the, the Red Sea. And what did they do? They immediately sang praises to God and, and, and celebrated the destruction of, of the Egyptians. And in just a couple weeks, they were griping, God, you're try you brought us out here to, to make us die of thirst. You know, not God that you were powerful. You know, there wasn't a God, we're kind of thirsty. Would you give us some water? But just griping about it. Then a little later, they were griping about water again. Then they were griping about food. And God gave them every step of the way. He gave them what they needed. And we've brought this out. You know, we need to be careful by judging them because we do the same thing in our lives where God does a work in our life and we forget it. 
And sometimes it's because we don't recognize it as a work of God. Sometimes it's just because we get overwhelmed by the burdens and forget. And this is one of the reasons that God tells us over and over, remember, remember what has happened. Not to dwell on, on bad things or any, but really to remember what God has done. How did God deliver? How did he provide? So that the next time I face an issue, I go, okay, God, you fixed it in the past. You'll, somehow you'll bring it to happen today. And we always want people to remember the good. How were things fixed? How did God take care of us? And this is why we read, read the scriptures to see how God took care of his people in the past. This is why I recommend reading biographies of great Christians where we see how God provided for them. You know, and then we talk the testimonies of today. How is God helping the people that we know today? I loved it when the Spencer family gave their testimony of how you know, they started out their trip and, the, and, the, and their, their vehicle broke down. And they still knew God wanted, and they got vans to get them to where they were going, and, and they spent all that time, you know, ministering in that area with their vans, and go, okay, God, you know, what are we going to do, God? It's time to leave, and vans aren't going to be enough for us to travel around the country. And their very last day before they leave, God gives them their bus. God works that way in the Bible, in the biographies, in our lives. God has a habit of waiting to the last moment so that he, we will know that it is him that did the arranging. Not me. I mean, I, I struggled at it for weeks and weeks, and then all of a sudden the answer came, and I'm going, okay, God, you know, my, my thought isn't, well, look what I finally got accomplished. No, it's usually, God, I finally given it up to you, and, and thank you for giving it to me. And we see this over and over in the scriptures. And yet God continually says, remember. Remember what I've done for the children of Israel. Remember what I did for the, the apostles. Remember what I did for whatever book you're going to read about the biographies. Now, I, I remember reading the, the story of Brother Andrew. He smuggled Bibles. You know, one time God told him to, to make the transfer of the Bibles in the middle of Red Square. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he's going, are you crazy, God? You know, but he did it and had no problems with it. You know, but God guides and leads. And we see this over and over and over again. Annie's favorite, the hiding place with uh, Corey Ten Boom, you know, and they had a, a dorm that was infested with lice and they were itching all the time but the ben benefit of that is that the guards didn't dare wouldn't dare come into their dorm and do a search and though they were able to keep their bible so god does things that make no sense to us if we really aren't looking for what he's doing and here the people of israel kept forgetting god and these were mighty miracles that he did it was obvious that he did these miracles and yet the immediate will oftentimes blot out what God has done. Whatever is the immediate problem oftentimes is so big in our sight that it appears to be the mountain or the tree that blocks our vision of the forest. You know, the old statement is you, you can't see the forest because of the tree. You're standing too close to the tree. Back away from the tree and see the rest of the forest and, and the paths. You know, you're too close to the hill and it looks like a huge mountain. This is where they were at. Every time they ran into a problem, 
They raised that problem into this great big hill, this great big tree right in front of them, and they couldn't see what God was doing. But we do the same thing often. God, there's this bill up here I can't afford to pay. You know, God, uh, you know, you said if I gave you your money, you'd provide, and here I've got this bill. It happens to be just the amount that I gave you in the tithe, God. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, or just a little bit less, but God, you know, we're, and we focus on it, and God's saying, be patient, be patient, and he'll take care of it, and he does. You know, if you really want to look, read a book about uh, the faithfulness of God, read the books that, about praying hide. He ran orphanages, and he prayed. Oftentimes, they had nothing to feed the kids as the kids were sitting down, and they said, okay, kids, let's thank God for the food. And there wasn't any food at the moment. And then there'd be a knock in the middle of the prayer and, and somebody was you know, saying, we don't know what to do with these vegetables. Can you guys use them? Or we don't know what to do with this milk. Can you, can you use it? Can, we don't know what to do with these clothes that, you know, that were, you know, smell of smoke. Can you use them? You know, whatever it was, the provisions were given to them. Even though they're praying with no food, saying, God, thank you, thank you for the food. And there is no food. And God says, here's the food. God answers very often right at the last possible moment because he wants to see, are we going to be faithful? Same thing here. Let the people get a little thirsty, see what's going to happen. Get a little hungry, see what's going to happen. Get a little scared. <laughs> the, enemy's, the enemy's right outside the camp. What are you going to do? Watch God deliver. Watch God deliver. Verse 43, how he wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. And Zoan we talked about being the, the lower part of the uh, Nile where the pharaohs lived. And then it goes into this recitation of, of this, a part of the plagues. He turned their rivers into blood and their floods so they could not drink. That was, you know, we don't even understand that, but you know, they did a lot of fishing on the Nile. And the Nile was their water supply. It was how they, they watered their crops. Turning it into blood killed the fish. Nobody wanted to run their, their ships, their boats up and down the Nile because it stank. They couldn't water their, flock, their, their flocks and their fields because you'd be watering it with blood. They couldn't drink it. They had to filter it through sand to get something that they could even come close to drinking. That was the first of the 10 plagues. And that was a big one and destructive to their economy. Then he talks about He's in all sorts of diverse flies. And this diverse flies is swarms. He's in swarms of flies. It's not different flies, but just swarms. How irritating can one fly be? Very. You know, we've seen people run around with fly swatters trying to kill one fly. Especially if you're asleep. Think about what he's talking here, swarms. You couldn't take a breath without the flies. You couldn't eat without the flies. Mike's holding his breath. <laughs> yeah. And that was, the, and then he sent frogs. <laughs> yeah. And you remember what it says about the frogs. There were so many frogs, they were in their beds, on their couches, in their ovens, in their, in their, in their water, you know, all their pots and pans had frogs in them. That's a lot of frogs. That's a lot of frogs. <laughs> okay. 
Now, the flies were bad enough because they swarm and, and were all around and they were you know, probably like a thick black cloud of flies. Flies are gone and now there's frogs. Everywhere you step, everywhere you, every flat surface has a frog on it. And like any other animal, they're, they're using the bathroom continually. And whatever else they're doing. Yeah. And then they sent the caterpillars and the locusts. Okay, after the, you know, the, the locusts. And locusts eat everything. And when there's a swarm of locusts, you can't walk anywhere. You can't even step outside because they're flying. Well, I guess they don't technically fly. Usually they, they jump. I guess they got wings now. They fly. They fly. With a buzz. And, you know, so there's locusts everywhere eating everything that's green, banging into you as you're walking around, being crunched under feet, a swarm of locusts. I've only seen one swarm of locusts in my life, and they're where everywhere. Luckily, we had screen doors and windows to keep them out of the house. But they were everywhere, on everything. And then it says, he destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore with frost. They had the hailstorm that destroyed things. And remember, this hailstorm also had fire in it. It was a very unusual one. It says hail and fire. And it seems to be more than just lightning because they would have used lightning because they had the word for lightning, and, but they said fire. And the indication is that when it hit the ground, it ignited, almost like there was some kind of comet storm of some sort. I got caught out in a, a hailstorm in Tucson when I was a teenager. And I'm here to tell you that it burned like fire when it hit my skin and lift, lots of them left blisters. Mm -hmm. I was at the weight and the speed which with they were falling, or why did it? I've never understood. Hit, hit your body enough, you're going to blister and, and be in, in sore heat pain, but this is not, this would this hit them worse. is not anything like that. Worse, this worse. is worse. Okay. This, wow. is, this is like what's going to happen in the Revelation when God sends the hail that, that is going to be. If I recall right, 60 or 70 pounds. I mean, it, big mm. hailstones that crush yeah. things. They will go through roofs. You do not want to get caught outside in this stuff. Your car doesn't want to be outside in this stuff. Your houses don't want to be outside in this because you think a 60 pound, you know, even if something that was only 20 or 30 pounds, if it comes down fast enough, will go right through your roof. It says, then he cast his fierce anger on them and his indignation and trouble on me by sending evil angels among them. And he made a way of his anger and spared not their souls from death, but gave their life over to pestilence. We have the diseases that hit their cattle. And they were dying of cattle diseases. And he smote all the firstborn of Egypt and the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham. So you've got, this isn't even all. He hasn't gone through all. There wasn't, he didn't talk about the pitch black darkness. And if you've ever been in pitch black, I mean, if you've ever gone to a cavern, you've been, they love to do these games to turn off all the lights in the cavern so you can't, you know what black dark is. Uh, most of us, if you're not inside a place without windows, you do not know what pitch, complete pitch black is. Because you can see the shadow of your hand usually, even, when, even on a moonless night and you're in the middle of nowhere, you can see the, the shadow of your hand. You may not be able to distinguish anything, but pitch black, you could touch your nose and not see your hand. The only reason you know your hand is there is because your hand touched you. That is black, and that kind of darkness 
will drive you insane in hours. I would think so. Because you have no sensory perception at all. It's, it doesn't get worse, but it seems worse. Yeah, the more you talk about it. Yeah. yeah, the more you talk about how bad things are, the more miserable you become. And I believe that this is saying that they were being used. Because if you read, remember in Exodus, God, the people got to the place where they were telling Pharaoh, get rid of these people. They're, yeah. they're destroying us. And his heart was so hard that he would not send them away. But the people are saying, <laughs> you know, hey, we're recognizing that this guy is pretty powerful. He's, he's destroying all of our gods and showing that he's stronger than all of our gods. Let's get rid of these people before there's nobody left to... And so they're griping, they're murmuring, they're complaining, they're hungry, their crops have been destroyed, they're wondering how they're going to eat for the, for the next season, just as anybody else would, because in those days you didn't have refrigeration, you had only, you know, so you only had enough stuff, and even in, and that is why everything was annihilated, that's why all record of him was annihilated, because when his dynasty crashed, everything was eliminated. And Egyptian, the Egyptians were good at this. When one dynasty was replaced, they went to all the stone obelisks that they could find, and they took the pharaoh's name out and all of his key people out, and they scratched them out, and there's blank spots on the records where they've chiseled out the names of who, who, who this, uh, this thing was, you know, uh, this wall was dedicated to, and if it was something that they could destroy, they would destroy it. They took out all remembrance, and this is why it's, when in Exodus talks, and there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, it didn't take long. All it took was one Pharaoh away who wiped out his memory yeah. and didn't teach it to his son, and now that guy carries his up and I go, Joseph who? You know, I don't know no Joseph. So it didn't take long for, for the Israelites and Joseph to be forgotten that they came in peace and they were the salvation of Egypt and everything. And here we are, he's going, this song is going through. This is what God did for us. Even in God's word, we've got to learn to trust God's word in spite of what we see, what we feel, what we think. God's word is true. And if we try to say, well, God, I think I'm special, or in this particular case, your word doesn't, isn't, isn't quite right, God, or, or I really think that this is what I need to be doing. God says, trust his word, because our, our soul and our body will lie to us and convince us that we're doing his will, convince us that we're doing it right. And many times we will do things that we think are good, that we think are right, because we've disconnected ourselves with God's word. And that's why we need people in our life to go, uh, kind of come up and metaphorically smack us upside the head and say, you know, hey, are you dumb or something? You know, this is what it says. You know, we don't, we don't usually go up to somebody quite that, you know, mean to them. But, you know, if you've got somebody in your life who's been given permission to correct you, then you need to listen when they come up and say, you're making some really bad decisions here. You know, this is what God's word says, you know, get, get on the right path. Just because someone does that, I won't give them the authority over my life. But just in case it is God talking to me, the least I can do is listen with you, an open heart. You need people in your life, though, that can speak to you very sternly. They don't have authority. You're not going to do everything they say, but you need people you can trust in your life that can say, like you this Justin. is wrong. 
this is wrong. Like you invested in it. I've had one person that I've done that in the last 10 years too, and really go, you know, number one, I apologize that I hadn't spoken God's, what God needed them to hear, and then gave them something really hard for them to hear. Because I knew God wanted them to hear it because it was scriptural. I hope, thankfully, that... They listened and they, they weren't happy hearing it, but later on they realized it was done in love and they realized it was right. But what I was going to say was I think that as my pastor and my friend, we're close enough that you can keep on it with me enough that it doesn't devastate me when you don't have yeah. to throw a ton of bricks on me. But there is a time for that to happen. If you're being really disobedient, you need, but you need, and again, if somebody, you just can't have anybody walk up to you and dump that ton of bricks on you because no. you're going to look at them and say, well, who are you who and why, you are, you who do you think you are telling me this stuff? So we all need somebody in our life that we've basically given some permission to say whatever, whatever needs to be said, how hard, however hard it might be, they need, that we need people in our life. Uh, Paul was that type of person with Timothy and Titus. He, he was basically, he treated them as his children and he's going, I'm going to teach you things. I'm going to teach you some hard things at times. And that's what the book of Timothy is all about. Timothy, this is what you need to do to be a successful pastor. And here's your, here's your rules. Titus, you're a good man. Here's some extra little, little things you need. And so, and Paul said, you know, find men and teach men who will teach men. And that's the whole mentoring process that's important. And we all need somebody in, who, in our life who's our teacher and, and our counselor and our instructor. But we also need to be doing that to others. That we're teaching them, building them up, teaching them to be able to teach somebody else. Because each person can only teach so many people. Jesus had 12 men that he spent and poured the majority of his life in. Now, we know there were hundreds of followers, and he taught all of them. But he poured his life into 12 men, and there were three besides them, you know, three of them that were the ones that were really intimate. Okay, those were the ones that he basically could say, hey, you know, we're going to smack you upside the head, and you're going you're gonna to get right type deal. Uh, the, other, the other nine were intimate and could speak to the other 500. They, they came and went and you know, they didn't live with him. They didn't spend all their time with him. He taught them. He taught them hard things. But there was always somebody that is the one that you're pouring everything into. They're the ones that you're looking to be the next generation of leaders you know, to take your place as you pour, pour into their life. And we all need to be pouring into somebody's life. But we also must have that person who can speak to us, teach us, direct us, and speak hard things to us because they, we have that relationship with, okay, you're my teacher, you're my, you're my guide, you're my leader. And Jesus ultimately is. But we need people. And I hear all people all the time, well, I can learn all by myself. Well, you sure can. You can spend 20 years learning what you could have learned in Two, in two days by having a teacher help you with their experience and their knowledge of the Word of God. Or you can sit there and plod your way through. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. Yes, the Holy Spirit is your teacher and, and needs to be your teacher. And you need to learn things from the Holy Spirit, but you, it is so much better to have somebody help you so that you don't go through the same pitfalls that they do. 
And we see this over and over. Let, they, uh, let me help you. Let me help you start at the next level. And that's the advantage of having a teacher. Uh, you see this in businesses as they learn how to do things. The next generation makes improvements from a higher level, hopefully, if they're a good company. The manager, the owner, manager made all kinds of mistakes. And he says, okay, next group that we store we open, we're going to teach you. And you're not making the same mistakes that I made. And they start at a higher level and, and should hopefully improve from a higher starting point. This is the way it is in the Christian walk. If we're being trained by somebody, we can avoid a lot of pitfalls, a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of incorrect teaching by being taught and starting out at a better place. This is why we see families where for generations they've been following Christ and the parents have taught the kids who taught their kids who taught their kids. And I find it funny oftentimes that my kids will go, Wow, I didn't know that I had all this training until I said something in a Bible study where, you know, and, and they're light years ahead of many of the people they're talking to. Why? Because we lived a different lifestyle and I lived a different lifestyle. And we talked about things and it was just part of who we are and where they, and they started at a higher level. And if and when they ever have kids, they'll pass that on to their kids and have that same knowledge start at an even higher level. And it's wonderful because you see them growing beyond you. And this is, the great, this is the greatest thing that can happen to any leader is they watch their people grow beyond them. It's scary sometimes because you start being the one that's being taught by them as they're learning, but that's fine too. Because your ultimate goal is for them to exceed wherever you're at. Moses wanted Joshua to be a better leader than him. Okay. Each one wanted their kids to be the better leader, better, starting out at a better place. Does it always happen? No. We see, we see Eli's children being, being total idiots and not following God at all. And we see David's children. David was not a good father. He didn't train. He, he wrote psalms and praised God and, and worshiped God, but somehow didn't get that passed on to his kids. And how that happened, I don't know, but he didn't, you know, didn't seem to get transferred to his kids. And we see, it, we see both directions, and either one can happen. Our job as parents and, and teachers is to teach the next generation. What they do with it is between them and God. And we see this in, in this generation. You know, the, uh, Moses raised, you know, brought these people out, taught them God's word, and they still flopped. And as I said this morning, in, in Joshua, we read that when they came into the land of, Philist, of, of the, the promised land, the first thing they did before they went in was they circumcised all the males that were born in the wilderness who had not gone through circumcision. Then they started practicing Passover all over. And this is, they, did those, they didn't do those things while following Moses, one of the greatest leaders they ever had. And he didn't implement circumcision, make sure circumcisions were happening and Passover was happening, even though they were told everyone needs to be circumcised on the eighth day. And yet he wasn't making sure that it happened. They didn't, didn't participate in Passover, mm. which probably means they weren't doing any of the other feasts either on a, on a routine basis. So even with Moses, one of their greatest leaders, they still didn't follow God completely the way he taught them. Okay? Uh, 
So it is very interesting what will happen out there. Then it says that, you know, that he took the chief of the strength of the tabernacles of Ham. Ham is one of Noah's sons, and the descendants of Ham filled most of the Middle East and Africa. All right? And so that was, the Egyptians were part of the descendants of Ham. And people will talk about Ham being cursed. Ham was not cursed. Canaan was cursed. That was Ham's son. So... All right, verse 25, and he made his own people to go forth like sheep, to be guided in the wilderness like a flock. He led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies, and he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand had purchased. And that covers 40 years here in this story, in those just couple sentences. He led his people. And it's amazing when you read the book, in, in the Pentateuch, how they keep coming and saying, Moses, why did you lead us out here? They're following a big pillar, big cloud. They're following a pillar of fire. You know, and somehow Moses was the one making this pillar and this fire in their minds. Even though they're following a path directly given to them by God, yet they never understood. He led them as, their she as sheep. And you notice that he led them. He didn't drive them. Sheep are always led. The shepherd goes out before the sheep and walks ahead of them. Because a sheep will walk right off a cliff if you, if you give them the opportunity. So the shepherd leads. He makes sure the path is safe and he calls them. He'll make, call them along a safe path. God led his people through a safe path through the wilderness. Right up to the borders of Canaan, which he was going to give them. And he led. He said, I'm going to give you. And he led them to the, to the mountain that he produced. And then in verse 55, it says, He cast out the heathen also before them and divided them an inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. In the book of Joshua, they go in and conquer the land. And we all know the story, all of us know the story of, the, of Jericho, how they marched around it and God destroyed Jericho. And then they went and they fought Ai and they went presumptuously and got beat and then they went back and, and beat them. But God gave them victory after victory after victory because he, it was their land. He, he said, I'm not giving you the whole land all at one time because you wouldn't be able to dwell in it. But as you take your land, I'm going to give it to you. And the book of Joshua is all about them getting their land and then them dividing it up for the tribes from Jordan all the way to the Mediterranean, from Egypt, supposed to be up to the Great Sea, and the only time they ever had uh, to, the, to the Euphrates, the Great River, but the only time they ever had all their land was under Solomon. <laughs> but they will have all their land under Jesus. And he says, I've given them their inheritance. They dwell in their tents. They dwell in their land. Verse 56, Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High and kept not his testimony, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers, and they turned aside like a deceitful bow. This is the period of the judges. Follow God. Go into idolatry. Get judged. Repent. Follow God, 
fall into idolatry, get judged. Repent. <laughs> over and over. That's the theme of the book of Judges. In one sense, the book of Judges is a really boring book because it's, you know, get into sin, fall, repent, you know, have a judge, repent, have a judge deliver them, run rule for, you know, 20 to 50 years, get into idolatry as they do what they want, fall and be judged and have a judge. <laughs> now, some of the stories of the judges are interesting, you know, and, 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 but, but the story of the book is over and over and over, the cycle of the world. It's also the cycle of the way we live, unfortunately. Yes. I, God delivers me, and I get into trouble, I do bad things, he judges me, I repent, he brings me back, I walk with him for a while, and then I fall into sin, and I, and I, you know, and I fall, and, he rep and I repent, and he brings me back. It's, it is the cycle that we all go through. People individually go through it, nations go through it, empires go through it. You look at the history of every empire out there, they do the same thing. They get where they follow God, or a God anyway, and then they fall into all the bad sins that they can possibly fall into. They're judged, and they either repent and are restored, or they're destroyed. And in empire's cases, they're usually destroyed. And we see it over and over in history. And God is there. He says, this is the path they're following. 58, they provoked him to anger in, with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. And God heard this, he was wroth, and he greatly abhorred Israel. And this whole idea that they provoked God. They provoked God with their high places. And we've talked about high places literally mean the places where they built altars, and they usually built the altars on mountains. And the higher up, the better. And the other thing they'll use is their groves. And that is where they would plant a ring of trees with a big, bigger tree in the, in the middle, which was a totem pole usually. And most of those totems were grotesquely exaggerated sexual parts because that's what you did in those groves was worship the fertility gods, Ashtoroth, which is one of the fertility gods. And part of that worship was a orgy, basically, out in the middle of this circle of trees. And he's saying, you've angered me with these. You've provoked me with these you, to jealousy. And remember, we've talked about jealousy. Jealousy is usually thought of as a totally 100% negative term. But jealousy, in the way God uses it, is the idea that he will not allow anything to steal affection away from him. Same way for a husband who's not going to, or a wife, they're not going to allow their spouse to be tempted and have their affections drawn away from them. Now, we do know that jealousy can go way too far where somebody says, well, no, you can't, you know, I don't want you to go anywhere without me, or, and that's, that is bad. You've got to trust the person, they've got to go out. But that idea of, if you find somebody who's trying to steal the affection of your spouse, you're going to stop, your, your job is to stop them, and that's, Proper that's a proper place for jealousy. And God says, you're going to these idols. I'm not going to allow it. And judgment would fall to all kinds of judgments. In the book of Judges, like we said, they would be conquered. They would be, they would be put under, under tribulation and tribute to, to some nation. They would give them a hard time, and then God would deliver them when they cried out. And so we see that, and it says that he abhorred Israel. 
This is a strong use of the term for his children to abhor them. That's a strong hatred. And yet we're going to, we see that all through Judges where he gives them over to the Midianites and, the, and the, you know, all the other ites out there, the Philistines and the Midianites and all these people out there, he let them have rule over them. Later on, he's going to sell them into Assyria because the Israel is so sinful. And then later on, Judah gets taken into Babylon because of their sinfulness. And this is long, long past, those are long past this, but it's still the same principle being seen. And sometimes God allows us to get into some pretty bad places because we're that far away from him. He wants us to be able to listen to that soft voice and repent. But if we won't listen, we won't bend, he'll do what it takes to make us bend. He will send us into some form of captivity. And for some people, that may be their alcohol and their drugs that they get into, that he lets them make them captives until they're ready to repent and give up. Or some other sin. They can be just about any other sin that he lets take them captive. Because any sin can be very destructive to your life. You know, workaholism is, can be very destructive to, to a person's life and to their family's life. Alcohol and drugs we know are, dis, are destructive. We, we see all these destructive things and God says he'll allow it to happen. Verse 60, so he forsook the tabernacle of Silo and the tent that he placed among men. The tabernacle was in Silo for many, 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 many centuries. <laughs> And that is where Eli ministered. That's where Samuel ministered. That's where, that's where it stayed during the judges' period of time. And after a while, he forsook it. He says, okay, I mean nothing to you. I don't, your, your, your tent doesn't mean anything to me. And he forsook them. And he gave his people over to the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. A fire consumed the young men and their maidens were not given into marriage. The priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. This is what happened over and over. Men died as, they, as, they, as their country was taken over. Their widows were not allowed to lament in many cases because they were taken captive as well. And the priests were killed. And then we come into a little bit... Uh, Verse 65, and the Lord awoke out of his sleep, and he wasn't really sleeping, but it means that he came, he came forth. And, then he, and like a mighty mountain that sounds by reason of wine, he smote the enemies at the hinder parts and put them into a perpetual reproach. He would take and deliver his people and, and put, the other, put the enemy back in place. And we see it over and over again. You see this with Samson and the Philistines where he went in and killed Philistines and, and, and drove them out of Israel. We see it with Gideon and the Midianites. We see it all through their history that God delivers his people. And many of these were wonderful stories. You know, Samson, one man, you know, getting rid of the Philistines. Uh, Gideon with his 300 driving the Midianites out of Israel. You know, all these numbers that are impossible. When God moves, impossible things become normal. And moreover, he re and then he goes in, in verse 67, Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Zu Judah and Mount Zion, which he loved. Joseph had a very high place. He got a double portion of the tribes because he has Manasseh and Ephraim, both of his sons, who were made tribes. He was the ruler in Egypt. It would have made sense for God to choose somebody from Manasseh or Ephraim to be 
the king because Joseph was the special one. And he rejected them and he chose Judah. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. He's from the tribe of Judah. David from the Lion from the tribe of Judah. And God raised up Judah and Mount Zion. And we see Mount Zion all through this. Mount Zion is another name for Jerusalem we've talked about. And he's going to say he's going to place everything there. And he built his sanctuary like a high place, like a like the earth which he had established forever, he chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. He took him from caring for sheep. David knew what it meant to care for, for things. He was used to it with the sheep. And from following the ewes, great with young, and he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. David raised up to care for people. Why? Because he learned care by taking care of the sheep on the mountainside. And he learned to depend on God. And he applied that in the end. He applied caring for the God's people just as he had learned to care for the sheep. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the, for the time that we've had in this uh, psalm and we ask you just to bless us as we go out today in your son's name. Amen.